Welcome to Shrink for the Shy Guy. This is the show for you if you are sick and tired of being held back by fear, self-doubt, social anxiety, shyness, anything that's stopping you from you being you. I'm going to share the most powerful tools and resources that I've been discovering over the last 15 years on my journey to eradicate social anxiety and instill confidence, first in myself and then in every single person that I meet on my journey. You're going to learn these tools and how to apply them in your life now so that you can become the most free, powerful, bold, authentic version of you. Welcome to today's episode of the show. Welcome to all of you. What does that mean? Well, you're going to find out today because, you know, we tend to think of ourselves as one person. I am Aziz, you're whatever your name is. And yet, actually, if you really pay attention to your experience, it's not so consistent. It's not just one guy in there, one girl in there, one being in there. It's, there's a lot of us. You know, and part of me wants to go do this thing, and part of me doesn't. Part of me likes this person, and part of me is angry at this person. Part of me wants to quit this, and part of me wants to stick it out, or whatever it is for you in your life. And we tend to maybe notice those parts when it's really loud and we're in conflict, like, should I move forward with this project, or should I go to this thing or not? And these two parts are fighting in our heads. But what we don't realize is that you know we are a collection of parts all the time, and that not only are these parts influencing us moment to moment, but we can organize our whole way of approaching life, our whole sense of our personality, all the patterns and behaviors we have are in many ways coming out of what parts in charge, uh, what, what certain parts of us that might be hurt by things that we then start to try to avoid. We can even have parts whose sole purpose is to protect us. And even more specifically, protect a part of us from being hurt. So if we got real painful experience of rejection when we were young, we might have a part inside of us that felt hurt from being rejected when we were young. And we have another part inside of us that is there to protect us from ever getting rejected again. And this is just a, a, the tip of the iceberg. And I am so grateful today to not just be sharing about what I know about this with you, but to bring in one of the most brilliant thinkers and authors and teachers on this subject, one of the um, preeminent experts on internal family systems therapy. IFS is what it's known as. And this is an approach to helping people radically improve their lives, to step into a greater sense of wholeness, of healing, of love, of connection, of confidence by understanding and integrating all these different parts of us. So it's not this big fight in there. And we don't, we're not driven by all these unconscious things that we don't understand to protect ourselves, to avoid certain things. And we can really start to become more centered in who we are, more congruent, and approach life from that place. And his name is Dr. Jay Early. He is a psychologist who's been practicing therapy for over 35 years. He's the author of numerous books, including Inner Journeys, Interactive Group Therapy, and his book called Self Therapy, which is uh, a step-by-step -step guide to creating wholeness and healing your inner child using IFS, that internal family systems therapy, which is a new cutting-edge psychotherapy model that he's been um, a major contributor in, in developing and flushing out. So not only does he write books, but he's a preeminent teacher on this subject and has so much to offer. So 
as I said, I'm very grateful to be able to share what he knows so that I can learn, you can learn, and we can all learn and grow into our most confident selves. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Jay, to talk about parts work, IFS, and all kinds of ways that we can learn to work with what's going on inside of us to release social anxiety and develop confidence. I'm really excited to have you here today. Yeah, it's nice to be here. So, uh, you know, you have a lot of experience in what's something called, called IFS, um, and some people may be familiar with that, may not. And I really want to uh, use this modality in a way that's going to help people with um, social anxiety and confidence, but maybe kind of a top level description for someone who's pretty new to it. How do you describe um, IFS and parts work and other language for it to someone who maybe is not familiar with it, never heard of it before? Sure. So IFS stands for Internal Family Systems Therapy, um, which is actually not a very good name for it. Um, I mean, there's a reason why it ended up being called that way, because the guy who developed it, Dick Schwartz, was originally a family therapist. And at some point in doing his family therapy, he realized that it wasn't entirely working without looking inside the people he was working with. And when he started looking inside, he discovered that, that they had parts, you know, different subpersonalities. And he also discovered that those different subpersonalities were related to each other in a system that was similar to what he had learned about family systems. Mm. Um, so IFS is actually a form of individual therapy. The name is confusing, but, but you're actually working with the conglomeration of internal parts, which, and so a part is like a little person inside us who, I mean, you know, in other forms of therapy, they might be called defenses or complexes or, you know, things like that. But the understanding in IFS is they, they aren't mechanical things like defenses or complexes, that they're actually live little beings inside us um, and that we can learn to talk to them and get to know them and help to heal them of their wounds and change their behavior and things like that. Mm. So that, that's a bare beginning, but I'll stop there. I love it. That's, that's fascinating. So let's say, uh, you know, someone feels anxious before they're going to meet someone or uh, network or something like that. And there's that fear, anxiety, maybe some self doubt in there. Right. Is, is that, uh, that sub personality, I mean, is that multiple things? Cause there's multiple feelings going on or does one sub personality have multiple feelings could be either actually uh, a single part can have multiple feelings and if you have multiple feelings it's probably more likely to be multiple parts but not necessarily um so actually let me go a little bit further into ifs and then i'll relate it to what somebody might feel in one of those difficult situations so um in ifs there's an understanding that there's there's IFS categorizes, well, actually, I should make it clear. There's healthy parts, and then there's problematic parts or extreme parts. And, of course, in therapy, we deal with the extreme parts because the healthy parts are just helping us live our life better. So you might have a creative part or a part that's good at intimacy or a part that's really smart. 
you know, those are just healthy parts and it's nice to know that they're there, but you don't have to worry about them um, because they're functioning fine. But so among the, the non-healthy parts, there are two main categories, protectors and exiles. And protectors are parts that try to protect us from feeling our underlying pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the pain that's carried by the exiles. So a protector may either try to um, like keep you in your head or space you out or make you numb or something so you can't actually feel the, I mean, the underlying pain that's being carried by the exiles. Or a protector may also try to influence the way you act in the world in ways that it thinks will protect you from being hurt or being judged or rejected or whatever. Um, and then the exiles are usually, they're, they're wounded inner child parts, usually carrying wounds from childhood. So, you know, an exile might feel scared or anxious or bad about itself or um, ashamed, you know, things like that. Um, and then a protector will do its best to try to make sure that you actually can't feel any of those feelings that the exile is feeling, because first of all, it would make it hard for you to function. And, and in some cases it could be overwhelming and dangerous to actually, especially if you've got um, exiles that are carrying trauma, it actually could be dangerous to actually feel that trauma. It could be overwhelming, et cetera, et cetera. So the protectors um, do their job and, um, because they're not healthy parts, though, they do it in a way that usually, even though they're trying to help us, um, their protection usually make things, makes things more difficult. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now let's suppose somebody's in a situation that's anxiety provoking. So most likely they're going to have a protector that makes them withdraw or get, you know, well, withdrawal is a common one. <laughs> but it could be other things like go up into their head totally and just kind of be intellectual and don't actually connect with people, or they could have a protector that um, gets, gets annoyed at people. So, mm-hmm. you know, so you can have various protectors that will try to keep you from feeling. Now, usually when somebody's got social anxiety, that's gonna be carried by an exile most likely. Um, but usually what shows up first is the protector. Because uh, usually in a in a really anxiety provoking situation, even the, if the person's conscious of the anxiety, that's probably not all that's going on. They're probably going to have a few protectors running around trying to keep them from being too anxious. Right. Yeah, I've seen this one uh, both in myself and clients where the, something. Let's say there's an anxiety about something, and then a protector will come in and say. I don't really want to do that thing. That's, that's, I'm not, that's not my style, blah, blah, blah. I have all these reasons why I just don't want to do it. Right. And of course, underneath that, maybe I do really want to do it. There's just that exile, that, that anxiety. So I can see how these protectors can kind of try to totally avoid the situation or have maybe even the pain about the situation as well. And can be pretty effective and pretty uh, convincing and compelling. I'm wondering when you start, first start working with people, it seems like it's possible to live for the most part 
with one protector after another kind of driving the bus as it were. That's what most, most of us do. I mean, for, so for an example, for me, when I've been in situations where I was feeling social anxiety, I would have a protector that comes up and says, well, this is clearly not safe. Why don't you just kind of withdraw? Why don't you just kind of move to the side? Don't really try, don't really reach out to people, you know, just stay back. And um, I mean, it wouldn't say that in words. It would just have me do that, you know? Um, so that's that's an example of a, mm. another another example of a protector in that kind of setting. And that I'd imagine is probably a core part of the process is is helping people become aware of these parts so that they can notice, oh, that part is active and encouraging me to do X, as opposed to just doing the thing and not even being aware of, of why and what's happening. Right. And in fact, some protectors. Um, end up <laughs> without wanting to do this, they end up doing what is this, what a, sometimes is called a self-fulfilling prophecy. So like you can walk into a social setting and, and the exile is saying, oh, I'm scared. People aren't going to like me. They're, they're not going to find me interesting. And then the protector says, well, let's withdraw then. And so the result is that people don't find them interesting, <laughs> you know? So it's like um, a self-fulfilling prophecy, which of course, completely backfires but that's what often happens yeah well because that's the in a way that's the point of the protector right if it's afraid of if that wounded child exile maybe we'll get more into these exile parts but it's i'd imagine uh there's there's pain around connection there or or a great risk uh, perceived risk that connection right. could lead to pain and so right. the protector is going to want to not connect even though you know, and I'll say whatever it needs to, and and then the result will be no connection or limited connection, which probably creates its own sort of suffering. But again, that's the the protectors are not necessarily functional; they're just they carry out a, a job. Right, they have a job, they do it. They and in fact, sometimes the the very lack of connection makes the person even more anxious the next time when they're in that setting because mm -hmm. oh, well, it didn't work the last time. So, you mm -hmm. know, which is not that what the protector is trying to do; it's just trying to protect them from whatever it's afraid is going to happen. You know, usually rejection or shame. Those are the two biggies. Um, yeah. So does that mean that there's, uh, say, exile parts that feel intense shame or rejection from, from different parts, different times in our childhood? Yep, exactly. Yeah. And do you think that's pretty universal for, for everyone, not just people with social anxiety? Is that pretty shared among human experience in your in your perspective yeah it's it's very common yeah so so we have this exile parties exile parts that, that feel these painful emotions and then we have the protectors that are designed to kind of try to have us avoid it you know ineffectively in the long term and so what do we do with ifs and to okay. to gain a bit more uh awareness and then choice and then ultimately liberation to to integrate these parts yeah so the third concept in ifs besides protectors and exiles that's very important is the self so there's an understanding in ifs that who we really are when we're not taken over by any parts is that we're naturally open curious compassionate grounded, calm, things like that. And so in IFS, 
there are some really cool, simple techniques that can help a person get into self fairly easily unless they have major protectors because there's a lot of deep underlying trauma. Then it can take much longer to get into self. But for most people, um, you can get into self, at least enough self to do the work pretty easily by finding out what parts, because you know, basically the understanding is that who we truly are is the self. And so if you can find out what part has taken you over at any given moment and talk to that part and ask it to um, not take you over, you know, IFS calls it unblending um, in that moment. And if that's the only part that was blended with you, then once that part steps aside, then you're in self, um, at least enough self to do the work usually. And so the self is actually the agent of healing in IFS. It's not so much the therapist. I mean, the therapist is still needed in most cases, um, but the therapist is more a coach for the self than the actual agent of healing. And so um, basically what you do is, um, you, yeah, you, you start out and you, you, you just, the, the client will say, okay, here's a part that I'd like to, or they, they may actually say, here's a situation that I want to work on. And then the therapist will help them figure out what parts are involved in that situation. And then they'll choose one of those parts to work on, you know, like one of those withdrawal protectors or, or even, and usually it's better to start with a protector in IFS, um, which I can explain later. So you start with some protector. And you, um, you, you know, you help the client get into self, and then the self um, talks to the protector and asks it questions like, "What are you trying to accomplish by, let's say it's a withdrawal protector, like I was talking about?" So, you know, you the self might ask the protector, "So, what are you trying to accomplish by withdrawing in these social settings?" And the protector will say, "Well, I'm trying to keep you safe. You're gonna, you're gonna be, you know." You're going to be rejected by everybody anyway, so let's just withdraw and not not get into trouble and not get rejected. Or worse, the protector will say, "You know what? You're going to make a fool of yourself. That's why I'm withdrawing." So, and sometimes, of course, it's not the protectors aren't that clear that quickly. Sometimes you have to sort of get to know them a little bit better before they really tell you what they're, where they're coming from and what they're afraid of. Mm -hmm. um, but so it's important. So. Basically, the self gets to know the protector and begins to form a relationship with the protector. So IFS is a relational form of therapy, but the main relationship is between the self and each part. Mm. Um, I mean, the therapeutic relationship with the therapist is also important, but it's more of a like a ground for everything else you do. Um, so. Um, so, right. So the, the self gets to know the protector, does some, does, you know, basically the, the aim is to not only find out about the protector, but also to develop a relationship where the protector begins to trust the self. Um, and then usually in the process of getting to know that, like the protector says, well, guess what? You're going to make a fool of yourself. Well, it's not hard to figure out that it's protecting an exile that's carrying shame. Right. Mm hmm. So then, you know, once you get to know the protector, you know, you can say, so it looks like you're protecting an exile who feels ashamed. Will you give me permission to work with that exile? Because you don't want to just barge into an exile 
if you don't have permission, because otherwise then the protector will sabotage your work with the exile, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and if there's any other protectors, you sort of want to make sure you have their permissions too, although, you know, it's not foolproof. But as you go, you'll, you'll find out if a protector jumps in and, you know, takes you out of your work with an exile, then you know you got to get its, you know, get to know it and get it to its permission too. Um, now, the other important understanding is you can't really expect to, sometimes it happens, but you can't really expect a protector to change until you've healed the exile or exiles it's protecting. That's one of the main things that people slip up on. The first, that, you know, the first thing is you get to know the protector, you find out what it's doing, and it's obviously dysfunctional. So the, the first obvious thing that people want to do is say, okay, let me see if I can talk this protector out of doing what it's doing. You know, like, hey, protector, it's not helping me. Would you want you make me withdraw? Well, guess what? That usually doesn't work because the exile is still there. So the so once you've gotten to know the protector, you get permission to work with the exile. And then there's a whole series of steps. Well, first of all, you get to know the exile. The self does. The, remember, this is the client's self mm -hmm. that's doing this work under the guidance of the therapist. So the self gets to know the exile finds out more about it, um, and then asks the exile to show what happened to it in childhood to cause it to be feeling whatever it's feeling, whether it's shame or rejection or worthlessness or whatever. <clears throat> and parts know. They know what happened. Even if the client doesn't know, the parts know. So, um, so when the client is speaking on behalf of that part, things will be revealed or emerged that maybe the client before would not consciously have known or remembered? Yeah, except it's slightly different than what you said. It's, well, I mean, the client, the, the client does speak to the therapist on behalf of the part, but what happens first is the part talks to the client and the, the part and the client, I'm sorry, the self of the client and the part have a conversation. Right. Okay. Like in, in, in silence? It's usually in silence. So it's just sort of like a listening and then uh, listening to and communicating to that, that exile part and then seeing what it communicates in, in language or, or memories or images. Right. And most parts do communicate in internal language, but some don't. Some, and of course, some, many of them will also use images or body sensations as a way of communicating. Um, but usually, most of them do use some language, some internal language, so that makes it this easier. Is really interesting, Jay, because you know I was asking some some of these basic questions to get everyone up to speed. Um, but I've actually been really fascinated in your work, and I read your book uh, Self Therapy a couple years ago, and was uh, inspired to really do a lot of these techniques as you teach in the book and in the workbook that you have to to really make this accessible. I mean, obviously, you encourage people to. Uh, get help of a guided IFS, IFS therapist and, you know, encourage people to kind of do the work and continue the work. And so I really learned a lot. And one thing I realized is that listening to the exile is, a for me, was a very, uh, what's the word? It took a lot of self-awareness to see how I'm, I might think I'm in the self listening to the exile part. But really, there's like a subtle protector agenda. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Point. Okay, I'm in the self. I'm going to listen to this part. But it's almost like trying to wait for a mouse to come out of the hole to pounce on it and get it. You know, it's like, okay, let's listen to it, listen to it so we can get it and make it go away. 
No. <laughs> and then I really, I know it took a while to really catch that and be like, oh, no, this is really about listening. And I could see how the, the not wanting to listen was still kind of being in a defended place of like, right. I don't really want to know. Uh, that's uncomfortable. And it took me like a breakthrough moment where I, I realized like, oh, I need to turn towards that part. And the, the phrase that came to me was, you know, show me anything, show me everything you got. I, I, I want to know. And that to me was a tipping point. And I, I would have I said I was doing the IFS work probably for a good six months when I was actually subtly blocking and, and, and being impatient to try to Yeah, that's, that's easy to do. That's one of the functions of an IFS therapist is to, is to catch that. Um, another thing that commonly happens <clears throat> is that the self will, well, the client will ask the, the exile or protector, you know, a question. And then st instead of waiting for, to hear the answer, the, some intellectual part will come in and try to figure out the answer. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing that, you know, that you have to watch for. Um, so yeah, so there's a whole, there's a whole way of doing this that people have to learn. Um, that's why I teach IFS classes. So I help in those classes, I teach people how to do that. And of course, as a therapist, I get to help them even more individually learn how to do that. And you're right. If you're doing it on your own, it's very tricky. You could easily, um, you know, be doing it slightly off the way it needs to be done. Sure. Um, well, the, you know, to, to know if you're in self, I think probably is his own uh, self-awareness of capacity exactly. or skill set. Yeah, and so exactly. uh, I jumped in there because I got excited. But so we're, we're, we're being with this exile part. We're letting it communicate to us in terms of words and, and images. And, and, and let's say we are very receptive from that place of self and, mm -hmm. and really curious and really listening. And then sure enough, uh, memories come in or images or pain from a moment in our childhood or many moments throughout childhood and there it is you know there's like the raw pain the feelings in the heart memories and we're with it and you said the self is the healing agent or aspect what is it just bearing witness from the self no uh, what that's else? just the beginning i see i mean that's actually very important it's very important for the exile to be witnessed and to be understood and in fact you don't move on to the next step until you have determined that the exiles said everything they wanted to say and that they feel understood and not just intellectually understood, but emotionally understood by the self. Then you go to the next step, which I call reparenting, or you could call it the corrective emotional experience. And then the next step, the, the client as self goes back in their imagination and enters that childhood scene where the exile was wounded or not cared for or whatever happened and basically provides the exile with whatever they need for healing whether if they need to protect the exile from something that somebody did to it or they need to be there for the exile in a way that the parent wasn't i mean sometimes the self actually becomes the good parent for the exile that the exile never had but that's just one way the reparenting can take all different all kinds of different forms depending on how the original traumatic incident happened. Um, and so that's a big part of the healing. And then, and then as part of that, the, you may actually retrieve the exile. If the exile wants it, they don't always want that. But if they do, you can take the exile out of that childhood situation and bring them into your current life 
or into your heart or any other place that they'd like to go. Where, of course, this is all imaginary, <laughs> but it's very real. It's not like you're pretending. You're actually giving the exile a new, healthy healing experience, um, which actually, you know, um, rearranges what's going on in the brain. Um, and then the final step is called unburdening. It's a, like an internal ritual where the exile gets to <clears throat> release the painful feelings or the negative beliefs they're carrying. And they can, you know, they end up, they can release it to light or have it washed away by water. You know, it's like one of the, usually one of the natural elements or it can be anything else. Um, but it's a ritual that sort of confirms that the pain has been taken away and will never have to come back. Mm. And then, and then after that, the, the exile will be very different. And so you want to spend some time noticing how the exile is different and what are the new qualities and feelings that are coming up in the exile. Oh, and right. And then I guess I might as well just finish the whole thing. Then the final step is you go back to the protector and you make sure that the protector knows what has happened and knows that the exile is now healed and transformed and feeling safe or, you know, curious or, you know, all kinds of positive things. And then you say to the protector, well, now, do you still feel like you need to do your protective job or can you let go of it? Um, and then that'll tell you because sometimes the protector will say, no, I can't. And usually the reason is because it's protecting more than one exile and you've only healed one of them. Mm. But, you know, often the protector can at that point because you're really, it's not enough to heal the exile because usually most of the problematic stuff we have in our lives comes from protectors. It may be triggered by exiles, but it actually comes from protectors. And so you actually have to go back to the protector and see if it's willing to let go of its protective role. Right. Yeah. Cause the, the protector can kind of be in almost like a excessive patrolling force or something running around, you know, way past the, the moment of, of trauma or incident. It's just still carrying out its duty. Uh, but, but if it, if it isn't willing to let go, there's always a reason for it. You just have to find out what that is and, and address it. Hmm. And it seems like there are going to be a lot of different protectors and a lot of different exiles as you talk yep. about this process. Uh -huh. And so do people need to understand and communicate with all of them? Or you just kind of go with the areas that are, oh, I'm having a problem with this area of my life. So let me go in there and work on that. And then, or do you, yeah, yeah so it's not really comprehensive in that way. Well, it can be either. I mean, the nice thing is that, that IFS can be fairly efficient. If a client says, I need to work on this issue, and if the issue isn't some major thing that involves all their parts, you know, then you can just focus on that issue, see what parts are involved, do the healing process on those parts, and that will usually um, take care of that issue for the client. And if that's all they care about, then, you know, then they can leave therapy and fine. But, you know, if somebody wants a more robust um, personality change uh, or, you know, a deeper level of growth, then they may want to stick around and work on lots of different parts and, um, 
So, you know, it's, it's up to the person. Mm-hmm. And you're right. We, we all have lots of different parts. I remember when I first, and by the way, you don't, you know, n- not all of the parts are major parts that need major stuff. I mean, when I originally started doing IFS work on myself, I was keeping track of my parts. And, I'm, and remember, I ended up with about a list of about 50. Um, now, that doesn't mean that I would need to go through and work on every single one of those parts. Uh, because some of them may be more just kind of tangential or not, you know, not such a big deal in, in my personality. But there will often be, you know, 10 or 12 or so parts that are more of a big deal and really need to, need to be focused on if you want, you know, the full, the full possibility for change. Right. Yeah, so it seems like, you know, let's say someone listening is, is intrigued and obviously the first step I would recommend, uh, well, one I would recommend, and maybe you have a different uh, first step, Jay, would be, you know, that uh, your book, Self-Therapy, seems like a great starting point for anyone who really wants to learn how to do this and how to integrate this into their own, uh, their own growth. Yeah, like, that's what I would recommend too. That's the starting point. Yeah. So starting with that, and then it, but it seems like this would require you know, regular practice, like you're not just going to read the book and be like, ah, I get it. You, know, you have to right, get exactly. in there and interact with these parts. Um, I'm wondering, do you, so when I was going through the book, I was doing a lot of writing and dialoguing, you know, on paper, as it were, with these parts or on a computer. Is it possible, what is the effectiveness have you found from, say, sitting and meditation, basically, and kind of picking, you know, the protector and, and dialoguing, with, but not actually writing it down but doing it inside your own mind and awareness what's your thought of that you know every, everybody's different um i think for some people it might be more effective what you just said to to go into a meditative place and and just go inside and, and work with the parts and then when you're done take some notes but for other people you know if they're working on their own then dialoguing through writing is also very effective for some people now, I've also found that most people um, are able to do this more effectively if they're working with a partner, even if the partner is not a therapist. And, you know, that's one of the things in my IFS classes, I, um, I pair people up on a rotating basis for homework. So they pair up with somebody in the class and they sort of practice doing sessions with each other or witnessing sessions with each other. And for most people, that's more effective than trying to do it on their own mm. but not for everybody some some people are really good on their own <laughs> you know so well, i can see that because I, I just i can really see the 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 speed and the kind of oily slipperiness with which we can slip in and out of different parts at least that's what i found in my own experience yep. and i think by having someone play it out you know you're it's just a little bit more clear whereas if it's internal it can you know it can shift very very quickly that's what i found i found i have some pretty crafty protectors <laughs> yeah, there yeah that that really really don't uh you know don't don't want me to go there and, and feel different parts and aspects of my experience yeah and for a lot of people it's not even i mean certainly if that's the case it would really help to have a partner who to point out what they were seeing but for many people even if even if it's not that i mean for many people if you just have a partner who's a silent witness it somehow makes the work go really much more effectively than if you're doing it on your own. Mm. We seem to be social beings. And so, but that's not true for everybody. 
And so uh, there is, I found, and this is uh, inspiring me to continue some of the, the practices. And I found that I, one of the main ways that an exile or probably multiple exiles would um, sort of speak to me would actually be through body sensations. Yeah. When I would slow down and start to feel, there would almost always be this pretty strong sensation in my heart that when I tuned in deeper, there would be, you know, and, and sort of relaxed the protectors and the, you know, mine would come in the form of like, I don't have time to feel this. I need to know what this is before I can feel it, blah, right. blah, blah. And so kind of relaxing those and, and communicating with them to, to create more uh, openness to, to feel. Then there'd be this kind of body sensation. And I found that there would be many different, memories from different times in my life and is your sense that that it would be one exile that has multiple wounds or is it each instance almost like its own exile part it can be either hmm. sometimes each wound is a different exile and sometimes <clears throat> an exile can have multiple wounds i mean i've even seen exiles that exist at multiple ages um, so yeah, it varies. But you know, if you're even if the exile starts out or you become aware of the exile because of a body sensation like a pain in your heart or a you know something, if you actually go beyond the body sensation and actually see it as a part um and start communicating with it, usually it will communicate with you in internal words. Mm. I mean, most there, you know, there are a few parts that don't talk, but most of them do, even if they start out. So even if you start out with a body sensation, if you actually treat it as a part that's its own being and you can get to know it, usually they will respond to you in words and you can develop a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. And, and what about, I found that this occurs, I've seen this in clients too and in myself, sometimes an exile part will... Uh, I don't know, want, it does feel very young and it will maybe want something that is not feasible or not doable. Like, sure. for example, I, I would see this and this comes up with, with social anxiety and stuff. It's like that part's like, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to go to that thing or I don't want to interact with those people or I don't want to be seen in this way. And, you know, well, guess but, what? That's probably a protector. Oh, interesting. So, so that when you tune in and that, X, okay, so that's the protector. That's so the thing I want to make clear is protectors can be very young too. Mm. Even though protectors are, you know, sometimes mm. older, you can have a, you know, if you had an incident at one year old that produced an, a one year old exile, it also may have produced a one year old protector or a couple of them. So um, protect, you know, young parts are not just exiles, they can be protectors. And what you just described was protector stuff. That totally makes sense. I think you're absolutely right. That it's, it's trying to push away or avoid an experience uh, because of some sort of pain that it associates with exactly. that experience. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so let's say someone wants to feel more free from social anxiety in these in a variety of situations and, and have more uh, self confidence self acceptance self love mm -hmm. uh, with the and they're like okay i'm going to get started 
when we get the book, here I go. Uh, <laughs> would, would they just sort of start with whatever incident is happening, you know, that week, that month in their life? Yep. As, as to sure. work with? Okay. So like, I'm scared to, you know, I'm scared to say, you know, speak up in that meeting or what have you. So that's the place they would start is like, what's going on with that meeting? Right. Yeah. And often, even though they're in touch with the fear of speaking up, the part that keeps from them from speaking up is probably an exile. I mean, it's probably a protector. And the part that's actually scared of speaking up is probably an exile. Mm. So you would generally start with the protector. But yeah, absolutely. You, you focus on uh, either a recent incident or how it feels generally when you're having some difficulty and you know, see what parts are involved and go in and start working with them. Mm. Yeah, it's a really uh, beautiful approach. It, I mean, it seems like the at its root, it's really about finding those uh, that those the the pain and and meeting it with a skillful love. Yes, self love is often the love of the self for a part. Mm. Yeah, and so. Uh, as we as we get to close to concluding here, because I really think I mean this has been very helpful to help uh, kind of pull it apart and make sense of it, and then you know there's only so much we can that anyone can do kind of intellectually understanding it, as you're saying you know getting in there is really the key. So I I think that this is going to be hopefully uh, inspiring people to to do that work. Are, are there any other general ideas? I mean you've done this with lots of people in the classes and therapy. Any other uh, thoughts or tips as someone who wants to embark on this work to to help it be effective for them? Well, one thing I would say is um, each person is different in terms of how much support they need to do the work. You know, some people can do it completely on their own. Some people need a partner to work with. Some people will do much better if they take one of my classes. Some people absolutely need an IFS therapist. They can't do it on their own or even through a class. Mm -hmm. so, it's, so it's a question of trying it out and seeing how much external support you need and what form of external support you need to make it work. Yeah, great. And uh, can you tell us a bit more about uh, the classes that you do? Are they um, remote so people from different places in the country and world could be a part of them? Yeah, I do them by video conference using Zoom. And so people can do them from anywhere. And in fact, I'm starting a basic class in a week or two. Um, so I teach a basic class, which teaches how to work with, how to get in self and how to work with protectors. And then I teach an exiles class that follows it, which is how to work with exiles and how to unburden them. Um, and then I have, you know, more advanced classes if people want to go even further. And they're all by video conference. Oh, great. Yeah. And where would someone go to find out about uh, those courses and register and, and go further? So my website is personal-growth-programs.com. Great. Personal growth programs with hyphens in there.com. And we'll put a, a link below this episode at shrinkfortheshyguy.com with, uh, with a link to that page. So you can also go to, to our page to, to find out about that. Um, and go learn about these classes. And I, I would uh, highly, I mean, I'm actually going to look at the one you're mentioning, Jay, because I, uh, going through the book, I realized like, oh, this is a, this is a very um, 
it, it's in some ways in some ways to me it struck me as a little bit complex not not in the how to do it it's all oh that totally all makes sense but the then doing it on myself i was like oh there's a lot here so i that's right yeah the psyche is actually very complex and so you know even the i you know the, the i've given you a fairly simplistic description of this because that's all we can do in this time but actually you know things uh, things get you know tricky and complicated fairly easily and so yeah there's all kinds of things that you need to know to actually be successful at it. Beautiful. Well, I recommend people go further. And at the very least, I mean, just hearing this and understanding that there are different, you know, parts and subpersonalities and in being, you know, finding ways to get more in touch with the core self that can relate to parts. I mean, I think that in itself is a, is already a very liberating realization for people. Yeah. To yeah. It's big. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing your your time and your knowledge with us today, but also for the work that you've done. Um, I know you've really done a lot to bring IFS out of, you know, uh, just the therapy office and really expanding it with the classes that you do, with the book and other things that you've spoken with. I think it's uh, so valuable to spread this kind of cutting edge approach to therapy and self-growth to really help people heal. So thank you so much for all that you do, Jay. Thank you. And thank you for being such a good interviewer. Yeah, my pleasure. That brings us to the end of the interview, but not quite the end of the episode. Time for action. 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 Your action step today is to have a conversation. Not with anyone out there, but in here. You're going to have a conversation between you and other parts of you. And there's probably different aspects from this interview that have maybe stimulated some thoughts or ideas about what parts to talk to or, you know, how to go about it. And I would say, you know, you can study more, you can get better at it, you can learn a lot more, but just start. Start by opening up a journal or a file on your phone or file on your computer and just start typing or writing like, okay, talk to a certain part of you. You know, or just say, like, who's in here? <laughs> Let's go on. Hello? Hello? Oh, who's in here? What part has a feeling about this? How, you know, pick a thing in your life, like your work or a relationship or your love life or your health. And be like, all right, what, what parts come up? Is there a sad part? Is there a discouraged part? Is there an optimistic part? Is there an irrational kind of uh, imagining glory and fantasy part? Whatever it is, your, your goal is to meet them with curiosity. You're like a, a journalist or a scientist. You're just like, who's in here? I want to know. Just like a scientist might want to know, what are all the different species of bat in this jungle? It's like, what are all the different characters in this family? I want to know them. And set aside judging, evaluating, pushing. It should be this way, and I shouldn't have this part, and it should be this part. And at the same time, you know, you don't have to like get in there and just let, let every part take you over. You could just say, all right, I'm... You know, a little more objective, a little more just observing. Who else? And, oh, what do you feel about that? And just get to know some of these parts. And just let it unfold. You don't have to follow any particular rigid framework or anything. Just start to engage in it. And then, of course, if you want to go further, highly recommend Jay Early's book, Self Therapy. You can get it on Amazon Audible. I believe they even have a, an audio version as well on Audible. So you can really study this stuff and then go further with it if you want. But at the very least, just start to talk to the parts inside there. 
Awesome. Thanks for being with me today. And until we speak again, may you have the courage to be who you are and to know on a deep level that you're awesome. Thanks for listening to Shrink for the Shy Guy with Dr. Aziz. If you know anyone who can benefit from what you've just heard, please let them know and send them a link to shrinkfortheshyguy.com. For free blogs, ebooks, and training videos related to overcoming shyness and increasing confidence, go to socialconfidencecenter.com.